You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network on this Thursday, August the 17th in the house with the with your boy Trey Larkins from the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody remember go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. We got an action jam-packed show tonight. We're going to talk about LeBron James. Yesterday, he signed a two-year, $97.1 million contract extension with the player option for the 2024-25 season. So are the Lakers going to be contenders next year in the Western Conference? Also, we're going to talk about later in the show, Aaron Rodgers had a lot to say about his young receivers. Was Aaron Rodgers wrong for calling out his young receivers? And also later on the show, we're going to talk about the top 100 players list that was recently out and players voted on this list. This was the bottom 100, the last, the 51 through 100. And Russell Wilson was at like 61 and Kyler Murray was at 57. So I'm going to give my opinion about that list here in a bit. But we begin in the NFL as the NFL and the NFL PA have reached an agreement on an 11-game suspension for Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson, sources told Adam Schefter. The settlement also includes a fine of $5 million that will go directly to charity. The deal is not signed, but it is agreed to. And so Deshaun Watson, he had a statement in the immediate aftermath of his suspension being announced. He said, I'm grateful that the disciplinary process has ended and extremely appreciative of the tremendous support I have received throughout my short time with the Browns organization. I apologize once again for any pain this situation has caused. I take accountability for the decisions that I made. My focus going forward is on working to become the best version of myself on and off the field and supporting my teammates however possible while I'm away from the team. I'm excited about what the future holds for me in Cleveland. That was Deshaun Watson's statement after being suspended for 11 games this season. So when it comes to this situation involving Deshaun Watson and him being suspended now for 11 games, first and foremost, it's important to keep in mind, the NFL and the NFL PA, they reached an agreement. So there won't be any lawsuit. They reached an agreement. And typically when you reach an agreement, it won't be nothing that happens going forward. The negotiations you know, are done and, you know, you don't get everything that you want in a negotiation, but you are going to get certain things. And for the NFL, they were able to increase Watson's suspension from six games to 11 games. They also fined Deshaun Watson $5 million, which is a lot of money. And so the NFL, they got what they wanted from that standpoint with the money and the increase in the suspension. Now, Deshaun Watson's camp, they also got what they wanted in this situation as well because Deshaun Watson is not suspended for the entire season. So that was what Roger Goodell and the NFL were pushing for before Judge Sue L. Robinson came down with her ruling a few weeks ago. They initially wanted Watson to be suspended for the entire season. And so now that they've settled out at 11 games, I think it's a win for Deshaun Watson. Initially, Deshaun Watson's camp, they was happy with the six games because they knew it was a light punishment. So it's interesting when you look at this entire situation, 
I mean, before Ju Judge Sue L. Robinson's ruling, there were some people that didn't even believe that Sean Watson would be suspended any games because there was no criminal behavior and there were no charges filed against Watson and he didn't get indicted. So there were questions about whether or not he would even get suspended at all. Judge Sue L. Robinson, she ultimately decided she wanted to suspend him for six games. Roger Goodell heard the public outcry from that suspension being handed down. Goodell appealed that suspension that was handed down by Sue L. Robinson. He did undercut her in this process. And that's another conversation for another day because that does defeat the entire process of having a third party involved. But we'll get into that at a later time. But in this situation, they brought in another former attorney general and he ruled in agreement with the NFL and the NFL PA that it's right for Deshaun Watson to be suspended for 11 games. And, you know, now it's all about what the Browns record is going to be once Deshaun Watson returns back to the field in week 13 against the Houston Texans. That's what it's all about. And they, I think they said they're going to put Deshaun Watson through some counseling. So that's that's something that's going to also be here in this suspension as well. And it's interesting because I believe now the Cleveland Browns have clarity on this Deshaun Watson situation. They can now prepare Jacoby Brissett for the first 11 games of the season that Deshaun Watson will be out. It's important for Jacoby Brissett to develop chemistry with the other players in this Browns offense. You got to get on the same page with the old line you got to get on the same page with the center you got to get on the same page with receivers like donovan peoples jones and amari cooper and then you still got nick chubb in the backfield and kareem hunt as well david and juco at tight end a couple nights ago i had my man garrett bush from the ultimate cleveland sports show on the show we were talking about this whole entire entire situation and expectations for the cleveland browns you know in case deshaun watson has to miss significant time so I think the Browns get some clarity now. They can move forward with Jacoby Brissett being their quarterback and figure out what they're, what they're going to do in these 11 games he's going to be out. So that's where it's at. I think now, honestly, from both sides, I think it's a win-win because this situation is a he says, she says situation. But there were 25 women that accused Deshaun Washington of sexual misconduct. According to Judge Sue L. Robinson, in her ruling, she did say that Deshaun Watson did, in fact, break the conduct policy set by the NFL. So the NFL, they get the suspension that they wanted out of Deshaun Watson by him being suspended 11 games. They get the fine that they wanted from Deshaun Watson, got fined $5 million. But Deshaun Watson also wins because he only is going to be suspended for 11 games when initially the NFL was pushing for a year suspension. So it's a win-win all the way around. And I think that now, once Deshaun Watson serves his suspension, he returns back to the field in week 13 against the Houston Texans, then we can focus on football and expectations for the Cleveland Browns the rest of the season and for future seasons to come with Deshaun Watson at the helm. Now, the one question that I did have about this situation is I didn't understand why the NFL is going to bring back Deshaun Watson against the Houston Texans in week 13. That was the only thing to me that was odd. Like, I thought somebody, whether it had been from the NFL or somebody in the NFL PA, I thought somebody would have noticed and said, like, why would we bring him back in week 13 against the Houston Texans? I don't understand that part 
of this ruling. That's the one thing that I'm confused about. Like him returning back to Houston and having to play the Houston Texans, that's something that the media is going to be all over. It's going to be so much scrutiny aimed in the direction of Deshaun Watson going into that game. That's interesting to me that they're going to bring him back against the Houston Texans. That was that was odd. That was the one thing that was odd for me. Call into the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. That game is going to be on December 4th. That's going to be played in Houston. The Browns will take on the Houston Texans. So that that's going to be crazy. Deshaun Watson returning back to the field. But give me your opinion about this suspension handed down that the NFL and the NFL PA all agreed on. 11-game suspension for Deshaun Watson, and it's going to be a, a fine of $5 million. I know on the screen it says it's, he's going to be suspended for 12 games, but it's, it's going to be 11 games for the season. Now, I want to talk about my expectations for the Cleveland Browns in Deshaun Watson's absence and what I believe their record is going to be once Deshaun Watson returns back to the field. Now, let's talk about Jacoby Brissett. So, Jacoby Brissett, for his career, he got 36 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. He got 7,742 passing yards. He's completed 60% of his passes, and he backed up Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo in New England at one point in his career. He was also with the Colts in that organization with Jim Ursay. Jacoby Brissett is not an elite quarterback, but I think Jacoby Brissett is a serviceable quarterback that can help the Cleveland Browns in Deshaun Watson's absence. This is the reason why I believe it would have been stupid for the Cleveland Browns to trade for Jimmy G. There are reports about how the Cleveland Browns, they were interested and bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo. And I said from jump, that is something that does not make any sense whatsoever because I don't believe that the Cleveland Browns are going to be any better with Jimmy Garoppolo than they're going to be with Jacoby Brissett at the helm. I think Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo, as crazy as it sounds, they are equivalent quarterbacks. Like, I know Jimmy Garoppolo has been to a Super Bowl. I know he has been to multiple NFC championship games, but Jimmy G is a game manager at his best. It's the reason why the 49ers having a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, it's the reason why they weren't able to close that deal and win a Super Bowl. Because Jimmy G, when the moment arrives, and when the chips are at the front of the table, Jimmy G folds in big moments in big playoff games. That year in the Super Bowl, the 49ers, they had a 20 to 10 lead entering the fourth quarter. And on one of the last possessions for the 49ers, Jimmy G completely overthrew Emmanuel Sanders. In that moment, if the 49ers get in Chiefs territory and Sanders catches that football, it's a good chance that the 49ers would have won the Super Bowl, but they couldn't overcome Jimmy G's inability to hit Emmanuel Sanders when he was wide open. Wide open. This is a got-to-have-it play, and Jimmy G completely overthrows Emmanuel Sanders. This is for all the marbles, Super Bowl, championship on the line, and you completely overthrow Emmanuel Sanders? That's the reason why the San Francisco 49ers 
moved on from Jimmy G, and now they are being led by Trey Lance. And then you remember last year in the NFC Championship game, it happened again. The 49ers going into the fourth quarter against the L.A. Rams, they were up in that game, 17-7, to 10-point lead in the NFC Championship with a Super Bowl appearance on the line. And in that fourth quarter, Matthew Stafford outplayed Jimmy G, and he showed why he is universally recognized as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And Jimmy G is recognized as a game manager. Like, you've got a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter. I thought in the NFC Championship game last year, the 49ers played very well. But they couldn't overcome Jimmy G because he's only a game manager. So when I look at the Browns, I don't believe they should trade for Jimmy G. I think they need to ride this thing out with Jacoby Brissett. Now, let's look at their schedule in these 11 games without Deshaun Watson. They're at Carolina week one. Home against the Jets, home against the Steelers, at Atlanta, home against the Chargers, home against the Patriots, at Ravens, home against the Bengals. They had a bye week in week nine. And then week 10, they are at Miami, at Buffalo. I think in Deshaun Watson's absence, I think the Browns will go four and seven. Initially, when he was suspended for six games, their first six games, Panthers, Jets, Steelers, Falcons, Chargers, Patriots, with the exception of the Chargers game, I think these are all winnable games for the Browns. So I said the Browns, even if Watson is suspended for six games, they could go four and two, maybe even five and one, because they're not going to beat the Chargers without Deshaun Watson. You need Deshaun Watson to beat Justin Herbert and L.A. Chargers. You're not going to beat the Chargers without Deshaun Watson. You got to have him in the mix to beat the Chargers. But they could beat the Panthers without Deshaun Watson. They damn sure could beat the Jets. The Steelers, they don't have a quarterback. The Falcons are rebuilding, and I don't believe in Mac Jones and the New England Patriots. So I said in those six games, they can go four and two and maybe five and one. But here's where it gets hard on the Browns schedule after their first six games. They're at Baltimore. That's a loss. Home against the Bengals. That's a loss. Bye week. Then at Miami. That's a loss. All those weapons that the Miami Dolphins have now. There is no excuses for Tua to have a great season with those weapons. Jalen Waddle. They traded for Tyreek Hill. That's a loss for the Browns. And then in week 11, they got the Buffalo Bills. That's a loss as well. And then they got the Buccaneers. They'll lose all three of those games after the bye week in week nine. Week 10, 11, and 12, Dolphins, Bills, Bucks, all three of those games are losses. And they'll lose to the Ravens and Bengals. So I could easily see them beating the Panthers, maybe. Beating the Jets, maybe. Steelers, maybe. And I think they can go four and two in the first six games of the season. They'll lose to the Chargers, and they may lose to the Patriots or the Steelers. Steelers still got an elite defense with T.J. Watt. So if they go four and two after those first six games, their next five games, I think they could lose all five of these games. And this is why I got them finishing at four and seven. They'll lose to the Ravens, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills, Bucks. So that's my prediction. I got the Browns going four and seven in the absence of Deshaun Watson. And so when he comes back in week 13 against the Houston Texans, they'll be trying to work their way up and trying to climb an uphill battle to get into the playoff picture in the AFC. Because in the AFC, if you four and seven in the first 11 games of the season, you're not making the playoffs. Not with all these teams in the AFC. And as competitive as the AFC is this year, you're not going to make the playoffs if you're four and seven in the first 11 games of the season. It's just not happening. I mean, in the AFC West alone, the Chargers, Raiders, Chiefs and Broncos are all four teams that could be playoff caliber teams. All four of those teams. And so they might get three teams in alone in the AFC West and in, in the AFC North in the Browns division. Bengals and Ravens are both playoff 
contenders. In the AFC East, we know the Buffalo Bills will be a playoff team. If Miami has a good season, then that's going to lower the chances of the Browns being able to get in as a wild card. They damn sure not get into the playoffs as a division winner in the AFC North. Bengals and the Ravens are both better teams than the Browns are right now without the services of Deshaun Watson. So it's going to be tough for them to get into the playoffs. It's going to be an uphill battle once Deshaun Watson does return to the field in week 13. We'll see what happens. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Let's transition and let's talk about the NBA and go to New Orleans as the New Orleans Pelicans, they're reportedly unwilling to offer Brandon Ingram in a package for Kevin Durant. We got a caller calling into Wise Guys tonight. I want to welcome to the show host of Snowman in the Morning, Brian Snow. What's up, Brian? What's going on, little bro? How are you? Good. How you doing this evening? A little exhausted dealing with two puppies. One of them is a big puppy, but I'm good. I'm uh, doing good. Oh, okay. I appreciate you calling in. So tonight we're talking about Deshaun Watson. You know the NFL. They, they, oh, geez. It, yeah, it's the, a case that won't go away. <laughs> it's kind of like Kyrie Irving's trade demand, if you want to call it that. It's the case that won't go away. The NFL made its decision. They slapped 11 games on Deshaun, fined him five million bucks. It's a simple case of paying to play because had they not fined him, Deshaun would have gotten a fifth of that, would have gotten a million bucks. Yeah. And considering the guaranteed contract, five million bucks as a drop in the bucket. Can we get to football now, please? <laughs> I want to ask you a question because I'm looking at the Browns' schedule in their first 11 games, Brian. I want to know your opinion on what their record will be once he does return back to the field. You know how many wins they'll have in their first 11 games? What you a got? big, fat goose egg. You got them going 0-11? I'll tell you why. They invested... 200 some odd million dollars in a franchise quarterback in Deshaun Watson. And they traded their previous franchise quarterback in Baker Mayfield. So now that Watson's gone 11 games and Mayfield's gone for good, who's going to play the position? You got Jacoby Brissett. He's serviceable, though, Brian. Like, this team is... I'll repeat my question. Who's going to play the position? We know that the Cleveland Browns' strength of their team is their rushing attack with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You got... A receiver in mm -hmm. Amari Cooper, who's number one. You got Donovan Peoples-Jones yep. and Joko at tight end. Defensively, they're loaded, Brian. I mean, you got Miles Garrett, one of the best defensive players in the NFL. You got Jadavion Clowney as that. well. You know, a great pass rusher. And then on the back end, mm -hmm. in their secondary, they probably got one of the best secondaries in the NFL, John Johnson at safety. And then you got Grant Delpit at safety as well. Denzel Ward, he's a nice cornerback in the NFL. And you got Greg. Oh, I'll give Newsom. him a ceiling of five and six. Okay. I got him four and seven because at Carolina, I think they can beat Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers. And then they that got. Ain't happening. Baker Mayfield's going to be too charged up. Stop it, Brian. He's a game manager at best. They could beat Baker Mayfield and the Panthers. In week one. Okay. They're not going to beat them in Carolina. Carolina's going to have a surprise for them. Home against do the I Jets. Expect Carolina, do I expect Carolina to make the playoffs? No. Right. right. But they're going to name Baker Mayfield the starter in Carolina. And honestly, who the hell is surprised? They brought him in for that reason. Sam Darnold wasn't even serviceable because it couldn't stay on the field. So Baker Mayfield's going to be hyped to face his old team in his new home. It's like Sam Darnold against the Jets, although we're talking about a different species of animal in the New York Jets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but be that as it may, I'll give them a ceiling of five and six and a floor of 0 and 11. I, I don't see, unless Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both carry the ball 25 times in a game, 
and Jacoby Brissett doesn't throw the ball more than 10, forget it. I agree. Initially, when he was suspended six games, these are their first six games. They're at Carolina, home against the Jets, mm-hmm. home against the Steelers, at Falcons, home against the Chargers, home against the Patriots. I said, even without Deshaun Watson, I said in those six games, Brian, they could go four and two because wrong, Brian. Even if they want to say they lose to Carolina, they're going to beat the Jets in week two. They're still no, they're not. What? They're going to beat the Jets. The Jets are awful. Stop it. Yeah. The Jets and Browns are even. <laughs> Stop I knew it. You get a kick out of Stop that. Stop it. I knew you get a kick out of that. Steelers week three. It's like the Brooklyn mess and anybody else they play. They're even at best. <laughs> Steelers week three. Could they beat the Steelers? May I speak honestly? Hell no. <laughs> That's a winnable game. Is it in Cleveland or in Pittsburgh? It's in Cleveland. That's a tie. Yeah, I agree. I like that Steelers defense, Brian. Mm-hmm. I like their defense. It's, it's going to be a battle of defenses, and whoever scores at least 21 points will win that game. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I I love Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin is one of the best coaches in the NFL. I love Tomlin. Love Tomlin. I love Tomlin. Love Tomlin. So that, that's – and then, okay, they, at Falcons week four, Falcons are rebuilding. They'll beat the Falcons. Oh, dear God. Yeah, they'll beat that's the Falcons. That's another tie. Stop it. I'm I'm picking the Browns in week four to beat the Falcons. They will beat them. Week five Chargers. That'll be a tie. 14 all. (laughs) Week five Chargers, they'll lose to the Chargers. We ain't even going to talk about that one. They're not going to lose to the Chargers. They're going to get blown to smithereens by the Chargers. I agree. I mean, Justin Herbert will throw four touchdowns blindfolded in that game. Yeah, for sure. Is it in Cleveland or in San Diego? And yes, I purposely said San Diego. It is in Cleveland. It's a home game for the Browns. Week five. Oh, God. (laughs) Chargers 58, Browns nothing. Week six, Patriots. They can beat the Patriots in Cleveland. I don't believe in Mac Jones. Do you? Are you out of your rat-picking mind? Mac Jones is terrible. You believe in Mac Jones? For that particular game and that particular game only, I believe in the Patriots. The narrative is set up where Deshaun Watson gets to come back and face, oh, looky, his old team in the Houston Texans in week 13. Yeah. I hope that ends in a scoreless tie. <laughs> I thought that was odd. Did you think that was kind of odd how the NFL they suspended him eleven games and you bring him back and in then week thirteen? Week Twelve is a bye. Well, no, they got a bye week. They got a bye week nine and week twelve oh, they played a bye. Yeah, week yeah. nine they got the bye and then week thirteen is when they play Houston in Houston. Don't you think that's kind of odd? Like I thought somebody in the NFL or the NFL PA would have saw like okay they play the Texans. Week 13, like all the scrutiny that's going to be aimed in the direction of Deshaun Watson. My buddy Robert Cobb said it best. I playfully disagreed with him, but I I agree with him on this point. It's going to be a ratings buster, but everybody's going to watch the game for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, I agree. They're going to watch the game for all the wrong reasons. Now, I have a question for you. It goes like this. What do you think of Jordan Love after he got pounded into the dirt in Levi's Stadium? Man, listen, Jordan Love is still unproven to me. I still got my questions about whether or not Jordan Love can be a franchise quarterback. You know, once Aaron Rodgers Mm -hmm. decides to hang him up, honestly, it's something I don't want to think about very much, Brian. I don't want to get depressed because over the last 30 years. I wonder why. Because Because there's a possibility you could see my 49ers in January again. Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) But the thing is, though, 
Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, they spoiled me, Brian. So once Aaron Rodgers decides to like hang Joe up, Montana and Steve yep. Young didn't spoil me they for did. 25 years. They did. They did. They spoiled, on, I know what, you know what I mean when I'm going through. So I know exact. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. I listen. Yeah. I know where you're coming from. That's why I'm picking at you. I know exactly where you're coming from. You got spoiled by Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. And believe me, I love me some Brett Favre. Yeah. But yeah. I got spoiled by two of the greatest to ever play the game and Steve Young and Joe Montana. Definitely. I yeah. got spoiled by watching. Listen, for all you Bradyites out there tuning in, listen to me carefully. I got spoiled by watching the greatest of all become the first player to win not one, not two, but three Super Bowl MVPs. He did it on my mother's birthday in 1990. But I know the subject at hand is the Cleveland Browns. I'm going to weigh in on this tomorrow. The subject at hand is is Deshaun Watson, so let's get back to that. I give them a, a ceiling of five and six. They're not beating the San Diego Chargers. They're not. And I know that's a CBS game. They're not beating the Chargers. At all. And they're not beating the Patriots. I think they can beat the Patriots. I think they can. It's a toss-up game. After that Patriots mm-hmm. game, in week seven, they are at Baltimore. They're at since they're oh, yeah, at Baltimore week seven, and then they're mm-hmm. home against the Bengals in week eight. And that's two division losses Agreed. right there. Agreed. They'll, be, they'll, they'll either have a division record of one and two because they face Pittsburgh early, yep. or they'll be 0-3 in the division Agreed. because Baltimore's licking their chops, and Cincinnati's the defending AFC champions. Yeah. We don't have to explain that story. For sure. And then so week nine, they got a bye week. So then week 10, they're at Miami. And then week 11, they're at Buffalo. And then week 12, they're home against the Bucks. Here's the deal. Here's what I think. I think they could first six games go possibly four and two. But those last five games, all of them, all five, they'll lose to the Ravens, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills, and Bucks. Lose all five of those games. So that puts you at. You know what? The closest game in that bunch is Miami. Yeah. And that's a game that they're not going to be favored in. Hell no, they're not going to be. Come on. Everybody's looking their chops for Tua. Yeah. And uh, Tyreek Hill, because Tyreek Hill is now a Dolphin. He's no longer a Chief. Here's one of my bold predictions Tyreek Hill will not exceed 1,000 yards. I can see why you would say that. I mean, he is going from. Patrick Mahomes, one of the best quarterbacks in the he's NFL. Going from the king to, of the, to Tua. He's going from one of the kings. Thank you. And you climbed in my head. He's going from one of the kings of the AFC at quarterbacks to Tua Tagovailoa. You know, I got to mess. Tell you anything? Yeah, I got to mess with you, though, Big Bro. You saying that Tyreek Hill won't have a thousand yards receiving this year? It's not really going out on the limb. <laughs> it's not going out on the limb, Big Bro. This is true. It's not because we true. know we know Tua at best is average. At best is average. Thank you. Climbed in my head again. I know it's not a bold prediction because you know you can see it. You can see it in the practices and everybody's throwing things up on throwing things up on social media. Oh my God! Look at Tua and t- look. Get me to September 11th. Yeah, agree. Right. Preseason is preseason, and I don't talk talk much about the preseason. I'm old school like that. Get me to September 11th, and let's play real football. Yeah, for sure, for sure, man. Before you got here, I want to tell you this. So last week in week one of the preseason, the Packers played the 49ers at Levi Stadium. And we kicked your tail. You did. So, but I want to tell you this. Obviously, the game doesn't really matter. It's preseason. No, True. One's, no one's playing their starters. It's, it's, eva- it's evaluation. It it's is. Evaluation. But I'm going to tell you the truth. And this is what was my, you know, mentality going into that game, even though it was a preseason game, Brian. Your 49ers have been a nightmare for my Packers in the postseason. Y'all have broken my hearts many, many times in the playoffs. So twice in 
Twice in Frisco and yeah. twice in Lambert. Yes. So even in a preseason game, right? Even in a preseason game, some kind of, you had to have some kind of hope. Right? I was praying <laughs> that Jordan Love had the best game of his career. I was praying that Jordan Love and the second would light string y'all defense up. of the 40. Listen, and the second string defense of the 49ers blew him to pieces. They did. They did. They blew him to pieces. But I just I just want to let you know that in, even in a preseason game, I was hoping that somehow, some way, oh, Jordan Love could, could turn back into the Jordan Love that we saw in college and yeah, ball at, uh, out. Utah, Utah State. State. Utah, State. Utah, State. Utah State. Utah yeah. State. Yeah. <laughs> I know you were hoping. Uh, you know I was hoping. Everybody was putting scrutiny on Trey Lance, but then Trey Lance threw a 76-yard touchdown pass. He did. And for me, game said match. My wife and I watched part of that game, and I had you in mind, little bro. Yeah. And congratulations on being a two-time father, by the way. I just got to throw that out there. Appreciate that. My wife and I watched part of that game up until Trey Lance threw that 76-yard touchdown pass. My wife looked at me and said, this game might be competitive. And then he threw that pass, and we looked at each other and was like, okay, we can go to bed now. Game over. <laughs> that was all you needed to see, huh? That was all you needed to see was straight land. Just like, just, just like um, three years ago, and you know I got to pick at you, just like three years ago, you and I spent the week of the NFC Championship leading up to the NFC Championship talking a whole bunch of mess to each other. I mean, yeah. we were posting videos and posting comments back and forth like crazy, and we got a mutual friend, Darrell Owens, who's a big-time Packers fan as well. He my guy. All week, all three of us were talking a whole bunch of mess. All three of us were talking a whole bunch of mess. And to say that I enjoyed it and I enjoy going back and forth with you guys would be an understatement because I know because I know it's it's fun the other way. But then the first touchdown happened yeah. on the second drive of the game. And what set it up was Dre Greenlaw's hit on that third down on the previous drive for Green Bay. Yeah. That kept him from getting the first down. And then Raheem Mostert happened. And I can just imagine your face. Man. <laughs> I mean, most are he, he turned into the second coming of Barry Sanders. I mean, he just he had the game of his life in that game. How can you feel like I remember you explaining it? The Packers are going to do some things in Santa Clara. Really? When we lit you up for thirty-seven points in the regular season? Yeah, they did. And then all Raheem Mostert had to do was score that first touchdown. I frightened the daylights out of my 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 little dog Lucy. And my wife was trying to sleep. She went, she crashed early because we had both had to get up and go to work that, that next morning. All I had to see was Raheem Mostert score that first touchdown. And it got to halftime and it was 27 to, 27 to nothing at the half. And yeah. by that time, Jimmy Garoppolo had only thrown six passes. Unbelievable. If I could have envisioned the look on your face, you yours and Durrell's at that time, Shock and awe wouldn't even begin to explain it. I was stunned. I was completely <laughs> stunned, man. I, I couldn't believe it. It was unreal. I believe you guys have scored us that year. I think it was just, you guys have scored us like 74, 74 to 28. To 28. 74 to 28. Yep. yep. 74, 74 to 28, to 28 in the two games when y'all played us. Yeah, it was un, It was crazy. But, big bro, let everybody it know where they good. can find you uh, on social media and, and they can find your snowman in the morning. Official SIT Morn is the ID that you need, including TikTok. I'm getting into football trivia now. Official SITMorn.com is the website. Use that website slash live to watch me live, or you can go to youtube.com slash snowman in the morning 50. Why did I put 50 on the end of it? Because I turned 50 in July and I enjoyed my birthday.
And after kicking cancer in the rear end, I, I got nothing left to lose. Definitely, man, for sure. I appreciate you calling in, big bro. We definitely going to be Thank in you, contact, bro. man. Enjoy, enjoy your weekend. I'll be in contact. Thank you. I love you. Thanks, man. All right. Brian yeah. Snow of Snowman in the Morning. Go and follow Snowman in the Morning. Brian Snow on all social media platforms. I want to get back to the situation in New Orleans. As New Orleans, they're reportedly unwilling to offer Brandon Ingram in a package for Kevin Durant. So we're talking about whether or not people are, should be surprised that they're not that the Pelicans are not jumping at the chance to pair Kevin Durant with Zion. So I must admit, I'm torn on this conversation involving Brandon Ingram and the Pelicans unwilling to involve Brandon Ingram in a trade package for Kevin Durant. I'm torn. And the reason why I'm torn is because initially, when I first heard the Pelicans weren't willing to include Brandon Ingram in the trade for KD, I was in disbelief because if you're the New Orleans Pelicans, I get a chance to bring KD to a big market in a big city like New Orleans, even though New Orleans is a football city and state. If you bring Kevin Durant to New Orleans, and I think it's the Smoothie King Arena, that's the name of the arena in New Orleans for the Pelicans, you get a chance to team up Kevin Durant with Zion and C.J. McCollum back to championship contender in the Western Conference. That's a great trio that you could possibly win a championship with. Seriously, C.J. McCollum, Zion Williamson, if he plays to his max potential, and Kevin Durant, who is still a top five player, that is a championship contender in the Western Conference. And then I believe that would be a team that could compete against the Golden State Warriors and Denver Nuggets in the West and the Memphis Grizzlies. If Zion could live up to his full potential, you got Kevin Durant, who's a top five player still in the NBA, and C.J. McCollum would be a great number three option on your team. I don't think C.J. McCollum is a great number two option. I think he's a good number two option. But I think he's a great number three option on a championship team. So I thought initially I said, that's crazy that they're not going to include Brandon Ingram in a trade package for Kevin Durant. But on the other hand, I started having flashbacks and I remembered how great Brandon Ingram was this previous year in the playoffs. In the regular season, Brandon Ingram had a great season last year for the Pelicans. He averaged 23 points per game. On 46% shooting from the floor, he averaged six rebounds, six assists. For his career, he averages 19 points per game on 46% shooting from the floor. And he is actually a similar player like a Kevin Durant. When I look at Brandon Ingram at his best, I could see him being a Kevin Durant type of player. Now, I'm not sure if, if he'll ever reach Kevin Durant and his potential, and how great Kevin Durant is, but I think he is a similar player like Kevin Durant. And also for Brandon Ingram, he's only 24. He'll be 25 next season. So I'm thinking like, man, I got Brandon Ingram. I got Zion Williamson to build around in New Orleans. That's a nice duo that's young to build around in New Orleans. Why would I trade Brandon Ingram for Kevin Durant 
when I don't even know if Kevin Durant in two to three years, if he's going to want to be in New Orleans. We know Kevin Durant is moody, and we don't know how Kevin Durant is going to wake up day to day. You could trade for Kevin Durant tomorrow, and then next year in the offseason, in the summer, he could ask to be traded again. I'm torn because I feel like you get a chance to pair up Kevin Durant with C.J. McCollum and Zion Williamson. That's a championship contender in the Western Conference. But on the other hand, Brandon Ingram is only going to be 25 years old, and he has tremendous upside. I don't think Brandon Ingram has reached his max potential yet. And we know Zion Williamson hasn't reached his full potential yet because he hasn't been healthy. So I'm torn on this one. I, I'm torn because I think the Pelicans will be a true championship contender with Kevin Durant. But with Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum, and a healthy Zion Williamson, I think that's a team that can also compete in the Western Conference. I wouldn't say that they're championship contenders yet. I would have to see how they play together, McCollum, Williamson, and Ingram. But, man, that would be nice. And then you don't have to, you don't have to deal with the moody Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's moody. We don't know how Kevin Durant's going to feel on a year-to-year -year basis. We really do not know how Kevin Durant's going to feel. So call him to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Do you believe that the New Orleans Pelicans should make a trade for Kevin Durant and pair him up with Zion Williamson and trade away their young star in Brandon Ingram for KD? Now, also, when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets, and I said this on the show last week, I think the best deal for the Brooklyn Nets is for them to trade for Jalen Brown, Grant Williams, and multiple draft picks. Maybe you can even get your hands on Derek White off the bench for the Boston Celtics. But you're not going to you're not going to get Robert Williams. The Celtics already said they're not going to include him in a deal for Kevin Durant. So if I'm general manager Sean Marks of the Brooklyn Nets, I'm getting on the phone with Brad Stevens, and I'm not going to hang up the phone until he gives me a deal with Jalen Brown, Grant Williams, and future draft picks. Now you're going to ask the question, why would you trade Jalen Brown for and Grant Williams and picks for Kevin Durant when Kevin Durant's better than Jalen Brown and Grant Williams and any of those future draft picks? The reason why you do that deal is because you haven't reached the conference finals with Kevin Durant yet. They've been, at best, a second-round team that has been out in the second round. So you're not even getting to the conference finals with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So you might as well trade for Jalen Brown. You bring in the Jalen Brown, a Jalen Brown who's ascending. I recently said that Jalen Brown, you can make an argument that Jalen Brown is just as good as Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown would have won NBA Finals MVP had the Celtics been able to win the NBA Finals. He had one of his best seasons of his career last year. He had 24 points per game, 47% shooting from the floor. He helped the Boston Celtics reach the NBA Finals right alongside Jason Tatum. So if you trade for Jalen Brown, Grant Williams, and future draft picks with Kyrie Irving, with Joe Harris, with Royce O'Neal, with Ben Simmons, I think that's a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. And you haven't gotten to a conference finals with Kevin Durant and Kyrie. So what's your ceiling? Your true ceiling is a second round exit. You might luck up and win a playoff series if you trade for Jalen Brown and pair him up with Kyrie Irving for a season, with Ben Simmons, with Royce O'Neal, with Joe Harris and Patty Mills. You might win a playoff series and possibly get to the second round 
And that's the same exact thing that happened with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So if I'm general manager, Sean Marks, if I'm head coach, Steve Nash, if I'm Josiah, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, I'm cutting my losses with Kevin Durant, and I'm not going to allow Kevin Durant to make it in a toxic environment in Brooklyn if he reports to training camp next year. I'm not going to do it. Call into the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number of the doubt. Would you trade Jalen Brown and Grant Williams in draft picks to the Brooklyn Nets if you're Brad Stevens and if you're Sean Marks, the general manager of the Nets, would you accept that deal? I would. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's get to the question of the day. It is the NFC South preview. And I want to go over these numbers from the poll question that I posted on the Wise Guys Twitter page a few days ago. Who's going to win the NFC South? And everyone said the Bucks. 75% of people said the Bucks. 8% say the Falcons, 8% say the Saints, 9% say the Panthers. So when I look at this division, obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the favorites. Unlike in the AFC East, though, the Bucs got some competition in the NFC South that they're going to have to deal with, and that is the New Orleans Saints. I think the New Orleans Saints are sleepers in the NFC overall. Like. You look at the best teams in the NFC, I'm thinking about the L.A. Rams. I'm thinking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm thinking about the Green Bay Packers out of the NFC North. I think the, a sleeper in the NFC could be the New Orleans Saints. Now, when you look at Tom Brady, so far since he's been in Tampa Bay, his record against New Orleans is 1-4. and four. And his one win came in the playoff game a few years ago when Drew Brees retired. That was his one win against the Saints so far during his tenure with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So he's one and four against the Saints. I remember that one game a few years ago. I think Drew Brees was still in the NFL playing that one game. It was on Sunday night football. It might have been the first year when Brady was in Tampa. I think the Saints, they blew out the Buccaneers. It was a complete beatdown. And then the Bucs returned the favor because they end up winning the divisional round playoff matchup when Brady faced off against Breeze and, and then Brady went on to win a, a seventh Super Bowl. But the Saints always play the Bucs tough. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we know that they are going to be the favorites in the NFC South. They're led by Tom Brady. Last year, Tom Brady could have easily won NFL MVP, and I would have had nothing to say about it. Nothing I could have said about Tom Brady winning NFL MVP. Now, I am happy that my quarterback, Aaron Rodgers won NFL MVP, but last year, Tom Brady was sensational. He had 43 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He had 5,316 passing yards, completing 68% of his passes. And so the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they still got Mike Evans. Chris Godwin brought in Julio Jones, and Julio Jones can still produce on a Super Bowl contender if he's given the opportunities. I mean, you look at Julio Jones, his career statistics, 13,330 receiving yards, 879 receptions, 61 touchdowns in his career. You pair him up with a Mike Evans, a Chris Godwin, a Tyler Johnson in that offense. They signed Kyle Rudolph in free agency as well. Still got Cameron Bray. 
Leonard Fournette, despite him coming to camp fat and out of shape, I expect Fournette to produce at running back for the Buccaneers this year. So they got a bunch of weapons on this Bucs offense. They're led by Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles took over for Bruce Arians. So Todd Bowles is a defensive guy. And defensively, they still got Devin White, one of the best linebackers in the NFL. You got Shaq Barrett. Up front, you got Vita Vea. He can move mountains. So he, he's very strong in that run game for that Bucks defense. And you still got Levante David in their secondary. You got Carlton Davis. You got Jamal Dean. You got Antoine Whitfield. And last year, that secondary was banged up. They had dealt with a lot of injuries last year in that secondary. But the year before, when they won the Super Bowl, that defense was elite for the Buccaneers. I mean, they went on that Super Bowl run because of that elite defense. It wasn't because of Tom Brady. Tom Brady played outstanding in the Super Bowl, but the reason why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl was because of their elite defense led by Todd Bowles. I think they had like five sacks in the NFC Championship game against the Packers that year. This defense is elite. They lost in Dominican Sioux because Dominican Sioux has been on this defensive line in previous years, but they still have a nice defense up front with Vita Vea, with Shaq Barrett also as a great pass rusher. And then you also got William Golston, Joe Tyron, and then Hakeem Hicks also as a pass rusher. So I love this Buccaneers defense. The one problem that they could have, they lost Ryan Jensen, their center in training camp. So the O-line could be an issue losing their center, Ryan Jensen. He's one of the best centers in the NFL. So losing him could come back to bite the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It really, really could. And for Tom Brady to be effective, he has to throw from a clean pocket. He got to throw from a clean pocket. So not having Ryan Jensen for the first half of the season could be detrimental to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But, I mean, they, they got a pretty nice offensive line. I mean, you got Tristan Worfs. You got Shaq. Mason. And then on the other side, you got Donovan Smith, Aaron Steiny. I like their offensive line, but not having Ryan Jensen is going to hurt them. It's going to hurt them in the first half of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see how long he's going to be out. Now, when it comes to the New Orleans Saints, again, they are sleepers in the NFC. And even if they don't win the division, if they get into the playoffs as a wild card, coming from a Packers fan, I don't want to see the New Orleans Saints in the playoffs. I don't. That's without Sean Payne and without Drew Brees. I still don't want to see him because last year, Jameis Winston, he only played in seven games before his injury. He had 14 touchdowns, three interceptions, 1,170 passing yards, completing 59% of his passes. I think Jameis Winston has a chance to win Comeback Player of the Year award next year. I think he could win the Comeback Player of the Year award because I actually like what I saw from Jameis Winston last year before his injury. And I'm not saying that Winston is elite, like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Josh Allen, like a Joe Burrow, like a Justin Herbert, like a Tom Brady. That's not who Jameis Winston is. But I think Jameis Winston could be a good quarterback. He could be at his best if he protects the football and doesn't turn the ball over. I think he could be in that tier with the Kirk Cousins, with a Ryan Tannehill, maybe a Derek Carr. I, I really believe that at his best. Now, those quarterbacks I just named are all better than Jameis Winston. I'm saying at his best, if he doesn't turn the football over, I think Jameis Winston could be helpful in the Saints' pursuit to make the playoffs. 
I really, really do. Now, you still got Alvin Kamara, one of the more dynamic running backs in the NFL. He's similar to Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon. His ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and make guys miss is something that the Saints can utilize in their offense, and it makes him a more dynamic running back. But last year, even without Jameis Winston and without Michael Thomas, he had 898 rushing yards, four touchdowns on 240 carries. So even last year, he had almost a 1,000 yards rushing without his starting quarterback and star receiver in Michael Thomas. So I like Alvin Kamara. You know, I like him as a running back. And Michael Thomas will be back at some point this season. But they drafted Chris Olave from O State, who I like. I like Chris Olave a lot. I really, really do. I think he can come in and produce at a high level immediately in this Saints offense. I really, really do. Defensively, you still got Cameron Jordan and linebacker Demario Davis. And I love Demario Davis as a linebacker. Talk about best linebackers in the NFL, Devin White, Fred Warner. Demario Davis deserves to be in that conversation. Cameron Jordan, he's one of the best defensive players in the NFL. In that secondary, they brought in Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, who's familiar with that region, playing at LSU. So you got him at safety. You still got Marshawn Lattimore as well. Secondary, they're decent. I'll say they're average. So Saints are sleepers. They're, they're sleepers in the NFC. Now, one of the players that I'm looking forward to seeing this year and seeing if he can have a bounce back season is Michael Thomas. Like, I want to give you some of these statistical numbers from Michael Thomas since he entered the NFL in 2016. This is from 2016 to 2019. And then this was a few years ago. So he, his numbers have went down from 2016 to 2019. He was ranked first in the NFL in receptions. He was ranked second in receiving yards and he was ranked, he was tied for fifth in receiving touchdowns. That was from 2016 to 2019. So over the last few years, it hasn't been the same. In the 2020 and 2021 season, in receptions, he's ranked 207th. He's ranked 197th in receiving yards. And he's tied for last in receiving touchdowns. So I think it's going to be important for Michael Thomas to have a bounce back season. It's at a point now where I wonder if Michael Thomas' heart is still in the game because he no longer has the luxury of receiving passes from the great Drew Brees. He doesn't have the luxury of being coached by the great Sean Payton. I remember that one year that he had, he had a sensational season that year when he broke the, the record for the most receptions, 2019. 2019, this is Michael Thomas, 149 receptions, 1,725 receiving yards, nine touchdowns. He was sensational that year for the New Orleans Saints in that offense. So I want to see if Michael Thomas can have a bounce-back season. So the New Orleans Saints are the team that I think could sneak up on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the favorites in the NFC South. And you're probably wondering, like, why haven't you talked about the Falcons or the Panthers? Falcons are rebuilding. I like Desmond Ritter, former quarterback here at the University of Cincinnati. I want to see how great he's going to be in the NFL. I think he has a promising career ahead of him. Got to see if Arthur Smith can coach, the new head coach down there in Atlanta. In the in Carolina, they got a quarterback competition. And I always said that when you got a quarterback competition, that means you don't have a reliable quarterback. I don't believe in Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold. So Panthers, they're not a playoff team at all. Christian McCaffrey, he's the best player on their team. Maybe he can have a bounce-back season and win comeback player of the year. So there's two players in this division that I'm looking forward to seeing if they can have bounce-back seasons, Jameis Winston and Christian McCaffrey.
I mean, Christian McCaffrey, when he's at his best, he's a, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Like I was speaking about earlier with Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, and Aaron Jones. Christian McCaffrey is a great running back who can catch the ball out the backfield. He's a mismatch for opposing teams' linebackers. So you can't have any linebacker on Christian McCaffrey because in the open field, he will torch them. But he's had a lot of injury issues the last few years. Last year, he only played in seven games. So he missed 10 games last year. And then in the previous year, in 2020, he only played in three games. So he missed 13 games. That's when it was a 16-game season. So the last two years, McCaffrey has not been healthy. He was healthy his first three years of his career. This is McCaffrey in 2018. Rushing yards, 1,098. Seven touchdowns. He averaged almost five yards per carry. And then in 2019, 1,387 rushing yards, 15 touchdowns. That was his last season when he was healthy. So he's going to be key for the Carolina Panthers. Christian McCaffrey is going to be key because if he can come in and play at a high level, that will take some pressure off of Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. Whoever's starting for the Carolina Panthers, if Christian McCaffrey is playing at a high level and playing at his best and he's healthy, that will help the Panthers quarterback tremendously. Matt Rule, I think he's on the hot seat. I think he's on the hot seat. I think so far in his career, he got a record of 10 and 23. So he's won only 43% of his games. If the Panthers have a bad season and they're not even competing, I think it's a chance that Matt Rule could be on the hot seat as we head into the offseason. So this is a year for even if the Panthers don't make the playoffs, it's important for them to at least be competitive, at least be a competitive team in the NFC. You're not going to make the playoffs in the NFC. I think it's a very, very unlikely chance that the Panthers make the playoffs. I, I don't see them finishing 10 and 7 or 9 and 8. I could see them finishing like 7 and 10, you know, maybe even 8 and 9. If, if they finish 8 and 9, maybe 9 and 8, I think Matt Rule will keep his job in Carolina. I think he'll keep his job in Carolina if they have a decent record at 8 and 9 or 9 and 8. But if they if they have a terrible season and they're 5 and 12, 4 and 13, I think it, could, it will be trouble for Matt Rule and he could end up losing his job. So I think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win this division, but I do believe it's going to be competitive with the New Orleans Saints. I could see the Saints and the Buccaneers splitting their two matchups. So I think I, I think the Bucs will beat the Saints, and I think the Saints will beat the Bucs. So I think the Saints will win the one of the wild card spots in the NFC, but I think the Buccaneers ultimately will win the NFC South because I think they got a more complete roster from top to bottom than New Orleans Saints do. But again, New Orleans, they should be excited about, about this season. They really, really should. They got a lot of upside as a team. Everybody call into the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Who's going to win the NFC South? Saints or Bucks? I'm not even going to put the Panthers <laughs> or the Falcons as options. It's going to be the Saints or the Bucks. Who's going to win the NFC South? And do you believe the Saints are a sleeper in the NFC? Let's transition to our Wiser Lies segment of the day as Joe Burrow is looking to return back from a ruptured appendix that he suffered a while back. He recently had appendix surgery. So Joe Burrow is going to return back to the field. The Cincinnati Bengals quarterback won't say how much he, he lost, but the pounds are coming back along with the strength and mobility that he had before the July 26th procedure. The goal is for Burrow to be healthy for the regular season opener against the AFC North rival in the Pittsburgh Steelers. So is it wise or last to say Burrow will be an MVP candidate this 
season. I think that is wise that Joe Burrow will be an MVP candidate this season because I believe in Joe Burrow. I've been very, very clear about I think that the Bengals have a franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow who they could win a Super Bowl with in the next 20 years. And everyone knows I'm the first person to be critical of the Cincinnati Bengals organization and their fans. You got Cincinnati Bengals fans walking around here, trash-talking Packer fans and 49er fans and Patriot fans like they've won a Super Bowl in their history. They have never won a Super Bowl in their franchise history. So these Bengals fans are the people I have a problem with. I love the Bengals team. I love their weapons offensively for Joe Burrow. You got Jamar Chase, a top five receiver in the NFL. You got T. Higgins, a reliable number two option at receiver. You got Tyler Boyd, a nice slot receiver who can make plays in the open field. You got Joe Mixon, a top 10 running back in the NFL. They also helped Joe Burrow because they brought in offensive linemen to boost up that O-line. That offensive line was awful last year. Last year in the playoff game against the Titans, Burrow got sacked nine times. But the reason why I believe Burrow will be an MVP candidate is because of the weapons that I just mentioned. And last year, Joe Burrow was great. He had 34 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 4,611 passing yards. He completed 70% of his passes. This is without an offensive line. Last year, he had a terrible O-line. And he statistically had top five quarterback numbers last year. He was outstanding. So I think it's wise to say Burrow will be an MVP candidate this year. The New York Knicks and Utah Jazz have re-engaged in trade talks about Donovan Mitchell within the last week after several weeks of no contact, sources told the Athletic Sham. And so reportedly those talks have increased over the last week. The Charlotte Hornets and the Washington Wizards are other teams that are reportedly interested in Donovan Mitchell. So is it wise or lies to say that the Knicks should trade for Donovan Mitchell? We got another wise. I think it's wise for them to trade for Donovan Mitchell because Donovan Mitchell is better than any of the players that the Knicks currently have. Julius Randle, at his best, is a number three option on a championship team. Donovan Mitchell, at his best, is a number two option on a championship team. For his career, Donovan Mitchell, he averages 24 points per game on 44% shooting from the floor. He is a dynamic scorer. He can hit perimeter shots. He can hit mid-range shots. He can get to the rim. He's a great free throw shooter. Like, he's one of the best scorers we have in the NBA, one of the best young players in the NBA. You bring him in to that New York environment. He's from that region, from that area of the country. So he would embrace playing in New York just like Carmelo Anthony did. Like, the way Melo embraced playing in New York, it's the same way Donovan Mitchell would embrace playing at the Mecca, at Madison Square Garden. So I think it would be smart for the Knicks to trade for Donovan Mitchell. I will give up some of those assets quickly. Obi Toppin, I will give up some of those assets that they got because Donovan Mitchell would be an upgrade over those players that they got. R.J. Barrett, I know he had a nice season last year, but I'm giving up R.J. Barrett for Donovan Mitchell. I got to have my hands on Donovan Mitchell if I'm the Knicks. And then you can also have Mitchell recruit a superstar to come to New York and play with him. That's how you want to recruit superstars. You don't want to just have a team with role players. You want to have a star who can recruit a superstar to come to your team and play. So I think it would be wise for the Knicks to trade for Donovan Mitchell. The Kansas City Chiefs, they have offered an update on wide receiver Mikhail Hartman after he left Wednesday's practice on a cart after landing awkwardly while trying to catch a pass. According to the team, Hartman suffered a groin injury. Hartman was able to walk off the field on his own power before taking the cart 
to the back, but did not offer any word on how serious the injury may be or how long Harmon may be off the field. So is it wiser last to say that the Chiefs losing Hartman would be detrimental to their offense? I think that is last. And I love Hartman. I'm not saying Hartman is a bad player because, you know, last year, Nikhil Hartman, he was pretty good for the Kansas City Chiefs. Last year, Hartman, he had 693 receiving yards, 59 receptions, two touchdowns. But now they don't have Tyreek Hill. So he's going to get more opportunities in that Chiefs offense to make plays. They brought in Marquez Valdez-Scanlon in free agency. And I like Scanlon with this Chiefs offense. I really, really do have an elite deep threat to throw the ball to if you're Patrick Mahomes. You still got Travis Kelsey at tight end. So I think they'll be fine without Hartman. It's important to get him back if you want to be a true Super Bowl contender. But they got other weapons who can help them in the passing game. In Scantlin, in Travis Kelsey. They also signed Juju Smith-Schuster in free agency. So that you, you're going to get a chance to find out if Smith-Schuster still has something left in the tank. So I think they're going to be fine without Hartman with these other weapons that they have on their team now let's transition to la and let's talk about lebron james and the lakers as lebron james he is signing a two-year 97.1 million dollar contract extension with the player option for the 2024 2025 season so when i look at this deal that lebron james signed yesterday with the los angeles lakers first and foremost my immediate reaction was after seeing him sign this deal, LeBron James deserves every penny. He deserves every penny of this new max extension. Last season, LeBron averaged 30 points per game on 52% shooting from the floor, eight rebounds, six assists. And even at age 37 in year 19, offensively, LeBron James is still playing at an elite level. And last year, he even had a few 50-point games in the season. There were times last year where LeBron James was literally carrying the Los Angeles Lakers. So even at age 37, in year 19, offensively, he's still elite. Now, defensively, he's lost a step. But I do think in key moments, I think LeBron can turn it up a notch. If the Lakers were championship contenders in the Western Conference and they were in a Western Conference Finals or an NBA Finals, I think LeBron James could still play some solid defense. I don't think he's going to be an elite defender like he was in his prime in Miami. But I think LeBron James can still play some solid defense. I really, really do. So LeBron is still a top three player in the NBA, right alongside Giannis and Kevin Durant. He can still compete with the best of the best in the NBA. Giannis, Kevin Durant, Kawhi, Steph. LeBron James is still a top five player in the NBA. So he has earned this new max extension. Now, he's got a player option for year two. And he could opt out, and that could give the Lakers more flexibility in free agency next year and a year after. So his contract is going to align with Anthony Davis. So once he's done in LA after this, you know, this new two-year deal he just signed, because he's got he had one year left on his current deal. One year left on his current deal. So he got two more years left now. He just signed this extension. So he'll be a free agent after the next three years. But that third year he has a player option that lines up right with Anthony Davis' contract. But make no mistake about it, no matter how great LeBron James is, if Anthony Davis isn't playing to his max potential, the Lakers will not be true championship contenders. I see Laker fans who are excited about LeBron signing this new deal, but it won't matter if Anthony Davis doesn't play 
to the best of his abilities and play like a top 10 player in the NBA. Last year, Anthony Davis, he averaged 23 points per game, but he shot 18% from three-point range. For me, Anthony Davis shoots way too many perimeter shots. You are Anthony Davis, one of the best players in the NBA. Get down in the low post. Prove why you are universally recognized as a top five talent in the NBA. There is no reason why Anthony Davis should be shooting as many perimeter shots as he's been shooting the last few years. I don't understand for the life of me what he's thinking. There was one point where I said Anthony Davis was the best big man in the NBA. When they won a championship in the bubble a few years ago, I said AD was better than the Joker. I said Anthony Davis was better than Giannis. Giannis hadn't won a championship yet. Joker didn't have his MVPs. So I said Anthony Davis is the best big man in the NBA. But since the bubble, Anthony Davis hasn't been a great player in the NBA. He has not played to his standard. And that's the biggest issue with the Lakers. We know that Russell Westbrook and LeBron James, they don't coexist on the court together because Russell Westbrook cannot shoot. Because he cannot shoot, that spacing when LeBron and Russ is on the court together is awful. And they don't have very much spacing. So they can't coexist together. But the biggest reason why the Lakers aren't championship contenders is not because of Russ. It's because of Anthony Davis. Last year, Westbrook played in 78 games. Anthony Davis only played in 40 games last year. 40 games. And we know best ability is availability. Say whatever you want about Russ. At least Russ shows up. At least Russ comes to play night in and night out. And we know Russell Westbrook is going to give you 110% every game. So that's the biggest issue for me when it comes to the Lakers. It's not about Russ. It's not about LeBron. It's about Anthony Davis. If Anthony Davis plays like a top five player, like his talents validate him being in that conversation, then the Lakers will be a top five seed in the Western Conference. But like I look at ESPN's win projections for the season next year. They got the Suns with 56 wins. They got the Warriors with 55, Nuggets with 53, Grizzlies with 51, Clippers with 50, the Mavericks with 49, Timberwolves with 49, the Pelicans with 43, the Lakers with 42. So they got the Lakers as a ninth seed in the Western Conference. And I agree. Like the Lakers, they're not better than the Warriors. They're not better than the Nuggets. They're not better than the Grizzlies. They're not better than the Clippers, Mavericks, or Timberwolves. They're not better than none of those teams if Anthony Davis is not playing at a high level. They're going to have Russell Westbrook on their team, and they don't really have much assets to, to make in a trade. Like, they don't really have much. I mean, I know they want to bring back Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Russell Westbrook and have them pair up as a nice trio, but looking at their team, they don't really have much to trade. You got Kendrick Nunn. You got Horton Tucker. Nobody wants any of these guys. I don't think they're going to be contenders in the West, but I am happy for LeBron James. He is a billionaire. He has made a lot of money in the NBA. He's made a lot of money with off the court with endorsements and so many things that he's involved in. And he's also one of those guys that has allowed others around him to eat. Rich Paul, all these guys being around LeBron James, they've had an opportunity to increase their quality of life because LeBron James has given them that opportunity. So we'll see what happens with the Lakers next year. I'm happy for LeBron getting his money, but I don't think they're going to be true championship contenders in the Western Conference. Now, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers in the NFL and the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers, he recently came out and he had a quote when he was talking to the media. He said, the young guys, especially young receivers, we've got to be way more consistent. 
a lot of drops, a lot of bad route decisions, running the wrong route. We've got to get better in that area. That was Aaron Rodgers on his frustrations with the Packers young receivers. He was talking to the media a few days ago. So the question here is, do I have any problem with Aaron Rodgers calling out the young receivers? So yesterday I made a Facebook post about this situation. And I said that Aaron Rodgers needs to shut the hell up and make it work with these young receivers because he's the reason why Devontae Adams is in Vegas. But I'll admit I was a little emotional because I'm a Packers fan. And I've been a Packers fan since I started watching football at four years old. And I believe that Devontae Adams, him being traded away, will hurt the Packers. And so I was upset when the Packers let go of the best receiver in the NFL. So yesterday I was speaking out of emotion. I was speaking out of emotion because I believe as great as Aaron Rodgers is, I believe him being indecisive, that's the reason why Devontae Adams chose to go to Las Vegas and play with Derek Carr. It's not about the money. The Packers had the money to pay Devontae Adams. They had more money to give Devontae Adams than the Las Vegas Raiders had. But I think Aaron Rodgers being indecisive and Devontae Adams seeing Jordan Love at practice every day and him knowing Jordan Love isn't very good. So once Aaron Rodgers retires, and that could be after this year, that could be after next year or after the third year, once he plays out this contract, Devontae Adams is thinking, I don't want to be in Green Bay with that dude in Jordan Love. I'd rather go to Las Vegas and team up with Derek Carr, who is also my homie from college, who I bought out with at Fresno State. Not to mention, I'm going from Green Bay to Las Vegas. The decision is easy for me. The decision is easy for me to go from Green Bay to Las Vegas. And don't get me wrong, as a Packers fan, I love Lambeau Field. I love the Packers fans and the history in Green Bay when it comes to football. But damn it, I'd rather be in Las Vegas in November, December, and January than in Green Bay with that cold weather. I'd rather be in Las Vegas with palm trees and riding up by the Aria in Las Vegas. Give me Las Vegas over Green Bay all day long. So I understand why Devontae Adams made his decision that he made. It was more so because Aaron Rodgers being indecisive. And Devontae chose 10 years with Derek Carr compared to three years with Aaron Rodgers. So that's the real reason why Devontae left. So I, after sleeping on the situation and hearing that Aaron Rodgers came out with these comments about the young receivers, Aaron Rodgers has the right to criticize young receivers. This is Aaron Rodgers that we're talking about. Four-time NFL MVP, four-time first-team All-Pro quarterback, 10-time Pro Bowl quarterback, one NFL Super Bowl MVP, four-time NFL passer rating leader, two-time NFL passing touchdowns leader. This is Aaron Rodgers' statistics for his career. 449 touchdowns, 93 interceptions. That's nearly a 4-to-1 touchdown to interception ratio, 55,360 passing yards. He's completed 65% of his passes. So he's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers can say and do whatever the hell he wants. So I was critical of Aaron Rodgers initially when I saw these comments on the young receivers. But after thinking about it, Aaron Rodgers can say whatever the hell he wants. He can say whatever the hell he wants. And I understand why he has some frustration with these young receivers. And then this is notable wide receiver touchdown running back group rankings. This is according to ESPN's Bill Barnwell. Bengals, they're ranked first in the NFL. The Raiders, they're ranked second in the NFL. The 49ers, they're ranked third in the NFL. The Packers, they're ranked 29th in the NFL. 
And then you look at the receiver depth chart. You got Alan Lazard, who I think is a solid number two option at receiver. He, get, he had 513 receiving yards last year, eight touchdowns. Sammy Watkins, this is with the Baltimore Ravens last year, 394 receiving yards. Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, they were in college. Randall Cobb last year, 375 receiving yards, five touchdowns. And Amari Rodgers, he wasn't very productive last year, four receptions, 45 receiving yards. So I understand why Aaron Rodgers is reluctant to trust these receivers on the Packers depth chart right now. No one has emerged as a true number one option at receiver. Now, Alan Lazar, he had some comments recently. He said, quote, I want to be the best receiver in the NF in the NFL. I know Devontae Adams is still alive. I know Keenan Allen, Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, guys like that are still around the league. But overall, that's the end goal I want to get to. That was Alan Lazar saying he wants to be the best receiver in the NFL. I don't think Alan Lazar is a true number one receiver, but he's going to get his opportunity this year to prove why he believes he's a true number one receiver. He's going to get his opportunity. And I think outside of Randall Cobb, Aaron Rodgers trusts Alan Lazar the most. He doesn't trust Christian Watson yet. He doesn't trust Romeo Dobbs yet. And we know that Sammy Watkins is injury prone. I'm not sure Sammy Watkins will be available for all 17 games this year. He's going to get hurt at some point this year. So I understand why Aaron Rodgers has some frustrations with his young receivers, but they got an elite defense that's going to help them in the early part of the season. You know, they start off in Minnesota against the Vikings, NFC North battle, and then they're home against the Bears. They'll beat the Bears in week two. And then in, in week four, they got the Patriots. I think the Packers will be just fine in the NFC North. I think they'll be just fine. Here's their schedule for their first six games. They're at Minnesota, home against the, the, the Bears. They're at Tampa Bay in week three. Week four, they're home against the Patriots. I think they'll beat the Patriots and Mac Jones. Then they're Home against the Giants, that's a win as well. And then they're at their home against the Jets. That's their first six games. Vikings, Bears, Bucks, Patriots, Giants, Jets. I think they'll start off the season in their first six games at least four and two, maybe five and one. Only loss I can see is to the Buccaneers, maybe even the Vikings in week one. That's a possible loss. But the, the Packers will beat the Bears in week two. They'll beat the Patriots in week four. They'll beat the Giants in week five, and they'll beat the Jets in week six. They'll be four and two at worst in the first six games of the season. But I understand why they have some reluctance and Aaron Rodgers is reluctant to trust these young receivers. Now, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers real quick and whether or not Aaron Rodgers is solidified as a top five quarterback of all time. So I just read off some of his statistical numbers for his career and some of his accomplishments. But this idea that quarterbacks like Peyton Manning and Drew Brees are better than Aaron Rodgers is ridiculous. I think the only thing that Aaron Rodgers needs to do is win one more Super Bowl because just like LeBron James, I think Aaron Rodgers is judged on a different standard than other quarterbacks, even all-time great quarterbacks like Drew Brees, like Peyton Manning, like Steve Young, like Joe Montana, I think Aaron Rodgers is judged on a different standard because he's so talented. Everyone looks at his resume and they believe that he should have more than one Super Bowl. He only got one Super Bowl appearance in his career. And I think that is a disappointment. That's a disappointment. 
And it's, it's an under, underachievement. Now, there were times where a few years ago, Aaron Rodgers had opportunities to get back to the Super Bowl. 2015 NFC Championship game against the Seattle Seahawks. All Brandon Bostick had to do was allow Jordy Nelson to catch the onside kick. And it would have been the Packers in the Super Bowl against the Patriots and Tom Brady. So we've, we would have gotten an opportunity to see Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl. Something that we always want to see. So... I think if Aaron Rodgers wins another Super Bowl, his legacy will be solidified as a top five quarterback of all time. I think he's already a top 10 quarterback of all time, already with his talent alone. And then statistically, 449 touchdowns, 93 interceptions, nearly a four to one touchdown interception ratio. He's completed 65% of his passes, four NFL MVPs, four time first team all pro selections, 10 time Pro Bowl quarterback. The accolades go on and on. When it comes to Aaron Rodgers, if he wins another Super Bowl, I think he will be a top five quarterback and it will be undeniable at that point. But I think depending on who you ask, some people already believe he's the most talented quarterback in the in NFL history and top five quarterback already. But I'll get into that more for future shows to come. And I'm going to be previewing all the NFL divisions in the NFL right up until the week one opening night matchup with the Bills and Rams. Today was the NFC South. Next week, we're going to preview a few more of those divisions in the NFL. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Remember, you can catch the Wise Guys Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Network Tuesday, Thursday, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Network. Go and follow the Worldwide Sports Network on all social media platforms. And also remember, you can watch the Wise Guys sports show on youtube you can listen to the podcast on all major platform outlets spotify spreaker apple podcast app be sure to check me out for sure everyone enjoy nfl week two of the preseason i'm trey larkin signing off of the worldwide sports network have a great weekend you're you're, you're listening to the worldwide sports radio network